This is The Eclectic Joe, the podcast, 2023, episode 7. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Eclectic Joe, the podcast. So last week's indictment of former President Donald Trump got me thinking, and that is always a dangerous thing. I've wondered for a while now, though, uh, I've wondered for a long time, uh, who in the world would want to even be president of the United States? The upside, of course, there are upsides to it. Uh, You're leader of the free world. Your name will forever go down in history, or at least United States history. Um, Right now, another upside is that you are only one of 45 different men who have held the position ever in the history of the country. Kind of like... uh, a head coaching or managing job in major pro sports. There's in the NFL. There's only 32 head coaching jobs, and or 30 NBA head coaching job or uh, jobs or 30 managerial jobs in Major League Baseball. <clears throat> so you're in a very select company, and very few people in this nation will ever reach that. Only one man has served as president in non-consecutive terms, and that man is Grover Cleveland, and we will talk about him more in a little bit. Another upside is you will also be able to make more more than a comfortable living on the speaking circuit, should you choose to go that route, as well as a nice book publishing deal. Um, So financially, you're probably set for life, as is yours, your families, for generations to come. And, depending on how good a president you were, you may even get schools or streets or parks, parks named after you when you're no longer in office. Wait a minute. Maybe it isn't so bad being president after all. But, I see many downsides. I can't imagine what you find out as president during security briefings. I believe, according to George W.'s book, uh, they're every day, every morning, and I just, I can't even imagine what what, what is discovered in those security briefings. Uh, As we discussed in the podcast on Tehran, there are people and nations out there who want to kill us, who want to see us dead. That's a concept that's still hard for me to wrap my head around, but uh, watching footage from the September 11th attacks certainly helps, helps that process a little bit of understanding the people out there that want to do harm to us. 
Another downside is, <clears throat> excuse me, another downside is every move you make, everything that comes out of your mouth is analyzed and overanalyzed in, in today's social media internet world. It's really never forgotten. It's out there and you can't get it back. Social, and social media just magnifies that. Another downside is your past life becomes much more scrutinized than if you just remained a private citizen minding your own business. American citizens, they seem to think that they have a right to know every little detail about their leader, warranted, justified, or not. I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, I do think they think they know, need to know everything, but I don't know that they do. I don't know uh, if a guy running over his dog when he is 20 has anything to do with him being a man at age 45 and, and more importantly, his ability to lead our country. The other thing is, even with Secret Service, your safety is always a concern, uh, even after you leave office. Do you... Do you think even for a second that there are terrorist organizations out there that would like to see President Bush or President Obama not with us anymore? Uh, I, I think that's a pretty, pretty easy answer. I also think being president is a thankless job, but I am glad that somebody is always willing to do it. Though I sometimes question as I vote that when I see the ballot, is this the best we can offer as a country with some of the individuals that have been elected over the years? By the way, this is an open invitation for former presidents Clinton, Bush, or Obama to come onto the podcast with me to tell what, motivate, what motivated them to become president. So, Having said all that, I decided to delve into the more famous presidential scandals. First, though, let's look at some of the sex scandals of presidents before they were in office. And I went from quote-unquote modern times, 1900 forward. And so in modern times, according to businessinsider.com, Franklin Roosevelt had an affair with his wife's secretary, that started before he was elected president and allegedly continued while he was in office. Uh, Businessinsider.com cites the New York Times as the sources of, source of him continuing the affair while in office. Dwight Eisenhower reportedly had an affair with his chauffeur while he was overseas during World War II. So that would be mostly England and France. As I always say to my wife, there is two things. There is always a place in the world for the slut, and there is always time for Nookie. Dwight Eisenhower, by the way, was married to his wife until he died in 1969. He, they were married for a total of 53 years. And as you look back on it, that back then, that really seems to be what people did. Then we have John F. Kennedy. And while several women came out and alleged they had an affair with President Kennedy. This was after he had been assassinated, so he was obviously dead and could not refute any of these allegations. Uh, I would find it difficult to believe that he was completely faithful to Jacqueline Kennedy from the time they got married in 1953 
to when he got elected in 1960. It just strikes me as odd that he would have all of a sudden become an adulterer after he became president, but it is possible. And again, he is not here to defend himself, so take that for what it's worth. And I'm certainly not condoning anyone's infidelity there in Washington or on Capitol Hill, but I've been to Capitol Hill once and uh, we met with some different representatives and senators. And I can say my impression of being inside that building is it is it is a bubble and I could see where these leaders would would or could lose touch with the outside world if all they're being all they're doing every day is being shuttled from meeting to meeting uh, being handled by their handlers their staff um, it, it, it's not it doesn't seem real the other thing is there are a lot of attractive females walking around uh, there again not condoning anything but I can see where if you're living in this bubble and you've got all these attractive females walking around, I, I can see where you might lose, lose your way. Uh, it, it really it struck me. That, that really struck me seeing, seeing that and being there. By the way, another example of the downside to being president, articles are still being written about President Kennedy, and he's been dead for almost 60 years. Uh, in fact, this November will be the 60th anniversary of his assassination in Dallas. According to Texas Monthly, Lyndon Baines Johnson, LBJ, began having an affair a few years after he had married Lady Bird. Uh, they, they married in 1934. He is, he is said to have had an affair even after he assumed the presidency with uh, a different woman than the one right after they got married. Um, he and Lady Bird, though, remained married until his death in 1973. President Ford is said to have had an affair when he was a congressman with an East German spy who ended up being deported. Now, this spy is alleged to also have had an affair with President Kennedy. So it appears that not only she got around, but she got around at a very high level. Keep in mind, this was during the Cold War, and East Germany was a satellite country of the Soviet Union. So um, it may be, maybe we're lucky that we're not speaking Russian right now because of people like the spy that a congressman and a president had an affair with. President George Herbert Walker Bush was not above engaging in extramarital activity. According to a biographer, Barbara Bush, uh, Barbara was suicidal in the 1970s after he was accused of having an affair with his aide. Another biographer termed the affair, which everyone publicly denied, deny, 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 but that affair lasted 18 years. So she almost became part of the family, I guess, after that long. President Clinton. President Clinton's activities have been well documented over the years, and I will go into more detail on one later in the podcast. President George W. Bush had a lawsuit filed against him in the year 2000. 
That was the year of his first term election as president. Uh, but this lawsuit accused him of raping her, of raping her. Now, George W. at the time was governor of Texas. He had assumed that office in 1995. What's funny is that this was a civil suit. And it, it, to me, begs the question of why no police report was filed. This case ended up being dismissed, and the accuser died in 2003 uh, of suicide. President Trump has been accused of affairs before he took office, but one of those has led to one of his scandals that we'll cover here in a little bit as well. So when you really think about it, since Franklin Roosevelt, there have been more presidents accused of extramarital inf infidelity than haven't been accused. The ones not in this businessinsider.com article are Presidents Truman, Nixon, who ended up having his own problems, Carter, President Carter, even though he admitted in a Playboy interview to lusting after women who were not Rosalind, also makes me wonder, I was a little young at the time, but what, what president does an interview with Playboy magazine? Who, who, who did that? Well, I mean, besides Jimmy Carter. But also Presidents Reagan and Obama uh, did not appear in, in this article. So for those of you counting at home, that's a total of nine presidents since FDR that have had some kind of infidelity in their marriage uh, of them to only five who did not. But the cynic in me says if we looked long enough and hard enough on those other five, I'm not sure we couldn't pull something up. Now on to our main event. So these are presidential scandals. And I'm going to start with the oldest and work to the newest. Uh, it's not sh it's shocking, but shouldn't be, I guess. The first real presidential scandal started with Thomas Jefferson. Now, he was elected president even with an accusation of him having an affair with his slave, who, interestingly enough, or interesting only to someone like me, she was the half-sister of his late wife, which kind of creeps me out a little bit, but again, I wasn't alive back then, so I don't know. But even that accusation, though, did not stop him from being elected president. His first vice president was Aaron Burr. And apparently, Aaron Burr did not make enough of an impression or do a good enough job for Jefferson to retain him as his vice president. So when Jefferson ran for re-election, Jefferson dropped him from the ticket, which is kind of cold, but that's life in the big eight. So Aaron Burr runs for governor of New York, not successfully. Uh, he ends up blaming Hamilton for that failure. And so they end up having a duel and Aaron Burr ends up killing Alexander Hamilton in that duel. And again, I guess uh, back then duels were acceptable and he doesn't get arrested or go to jail or anything for murdering somebody. Those were the days.
Aaron Burr then tries to get allies for his filibustering scheme so he could be ruler of some part of Texas or the Trans-Appalachian West or some combination thereof. So in 1807, President Jefferson had Burr arrested and tried for treason. Aaron Burr beat that charge. He was acquitted. But what has, what came out of it and what has endured since that case is uh, Chief John Marshall, who was a political antagonist of Thomas Jefferson, but Supreme Court Justice Chief John Marshall narrowly interpreted the definition of treason. And we have, ever since then, ever since the early 1800s, that's, that's been the threshold. It's a very high threshold, very high threshold. And frankly, that may be one of the reasons why that uh, anyone who rioted and attacked the Capitol back on January 6th um, has not been charged with treason. There have been a couple very serious charges, uh, but treason has not been one of them. Again, this may not have been the most scandalous events, but it did have a long-lasting impact. Uh, another thing that didn't help Thomas Jefferson's legacy is that he also failed to impeach Chief Justice Samuel Chase. And that did not reflect well on, on his administration, and it also has had a long-lasting impact. Uh, you don't see presidents trying to impeach chief justices or justices on the Supreme Court. Next up, we have Andrew Jackson. Old Hickory, the hero of the Battle of New Orleans, which I understand back in those days, tra news traveled very slowly, but it always kind of messed me up that the Battle of New Orleans took place after the war had been declared over. <clears throat> but anyway, Old Hickory, his Secretary of War, which is we now call that the Secretary of Defense, his Secretary of War was a friend from Tennessee brought with him to Washington, D.C. His, his friend had just married a young widow who was well known around, around Washington. But the marriage was looked down upon because of the closeness to her husband's death. Now keep in mind, this is the late... 1820s, early 1830s, so things were different then. But the prevailing thought, well, the other prevailing thought was that uh, she and the Secretary of War had been having an affair even before her husband's death. So that's a double whammy. Didn't wait, a long, didn't wait long enough to mourn, and oh, by the way, we think you were having an affair. But as a result of this gossip, the women around Washington, D.C. refused to socialize with her. Well, this made President Jackson very angry because his wife, who had, just, who had just passed away, had been accused of the same thing when she married Andrew Jackson. So it hit home, obviously. President Jackson allegedly called a cabinet meeting where he ordered his members' wives to socialize with the couple. <laughs> This seems kind of petty, and I think I'd want my president worrying about other things than that. But, again, this is a different time. 
But the result of that meeting ended up being a mass resignation of his cabinet. Uh, if you look, there's even a, a cartoon of uh, these rats running away. It's actually pretty funny, but it's, it represents the cabinet members resigning. There were a lot of dominoes that fell and a lot of moving parts, but the bottom line, the end result of this was that the vice president, John Calhoun, he ended up resigning. Uh, Martin Van Buren, who was the secretary of state, took one for the team. He ended up resigning, but Andrew Jackson rewarded him by appointing him minister to Great Britain. Uh, in 1832, Martin Van Buren ran as Andrew Jackson's vice president, became vice president as Andrew Jackson was reelected, and Martin Van Buren would subsequently be elected president in 1836. So he uh, was the big winner. John Calhoun, whose wife was the mastermind, if you will, of this uh, freezing out of the Secretary of War and his wife, uh, they, they lost. They lost big time. Could have been the next president, possibly, but that did not work out that way. Uh, this has been called the Petticoat Affair. So that, that, was, uh, that marked Andrew Jackson's presidency. Now we fast forward and another Andrew, Andrew Johnson. He becomes president after President Lincoln was assassinated in 1865. Uh, he moves into the White House. Andrew Johnson had supported the Union during the Civil War, even though he lived in Tennessee, which was a Confederate state. But even given that, when he became president, he opposed giving freed slaves the right to vote, as well as other Reconstruction efforts in the years following the Civil War. In doing so, he often butted heads with the abolitionist radical Republicans who controlled Congress. So a couple years later, in 1867, Congress passes the Tenure of Office Act and overrode uh, one of Johnson's veto. This is a law that they passed that kept uh, President Johnson from dismissing Secretary of War Edward, Edwin Stanton, who happened, who happened to have been an appointment of President Lincoln and a supporter of the Radical Republicans' policies. So he tries to fire the Secretary of War without Senate approval. Uh, he defies the law and attempts to fire him anyway. The, the House of Representatives voted to impeach Johnson, our first president who has been impeached, won't be our last. After a long trial, Congress fell just one vote short of the two-thirds majority that would be needed to remove Johnson from office. So he has the distinction forever, forevermore as being the first president to have been impeached. I'm sure his family's proud. Of course, with a common name like Johnson, we don't know who they are. By the way, Andrew Johnson and Lyndon Baines Johnson were not related. Same last name, but not related. So now we move to Ulysses S. Grant, President Grant. President Grant is the one who succeeded President Johnson. 
Of course, you may or may not remember, he was a Civil War hero, commander of the Army of the Potomac, actually overall commander of the entire Union Army eventually, and, and was able to take down Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia, whereas no other Union general up to that point had been able to do. Anyway, so he becomes president, he's elected president, and he has his own scandal. Wait, let me correct myself. Let's make that plural, scandals. It's funny, if you go to the Wiki, Wikipedia page on him as President, President Grant, I count 11 different scandals during his presidency. 11. Uh, according to that page, he, he ran his cabinet more as a military operational military style than civilian style, and that uh, he's dealing with people that probably weren't in the military or, or may not have served as long as he did. And so that's, uh, that's trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. <clears throat> the, one, one of the, the one of the scandals that I, I want to concentrate on is, was the whiskey ring. Back then, uh, American whiskey makers had long chafed at federal taxes on distilled spirits. And the, the issue really came to a head during his uh, President Grant's second term. In 1875, his Treasury Secretary, Benjamin Bristow, exposed uh, an organized effort by whiskey distillers to keep the tax revenue to themselves and bribe officials at the IRS and the Treasury into looking the other way. I can't help but think of the old saying that money talks and you know what walks. So these whiskey makers are, they've got, they've got a nice ring going, nice thing going and a nice ring, but the Treasury Secretary, uh, Treasury Secretary Bristow, he launches an investigation that led to 238 indictments and 110 convictions and eventually even implicated Grant's aide and personal secretary, Orville Babcock. President Grant testified on Babcock's behalf and he won an acquittal and he became the first sitting president to voluntarily testify in a criminal case. Also, during President Grant's presidency, uh, there was what was called the New York Custom House Ring, uh, in which administrative administration appointees, excuse me, helped importers evade customs, du customs duties. And kickbacks to, there was also, there were also kickbacks to Secretary of War William Belknap in exchange for monopoly rights at Western Trading Posts and a bribery scandal in the Department of the Interior involving fraudulent land grants. So if you go back and do a study of President Grant's uh, presidency, you'll see that um, didn't go so smoothly for him. He was able to win the Civil War, but as president, that, that is something totally different. Uh, it's a different animal. So now we get to Grover Cleveland, who I had mentioned earlier. President Cleveland's time in the White House came during the late 1880s. And as I mentioned earlier, he's the only president to serve non-consecutive terms in office. Before I get to 
Grover Cleveland's scandal, if you'll indulge me for a minute, we generally elect our presidents for two terms. That has been the history uh, overall of the country. But then I was wondering uh, how many have there been who were only one-term presidents? And so if you go back, actually the first one-term president was John Adams, our second president. His son got elected about 24 years after John Adams left office, but he and his dad share the same, have, have one thing in common, they both were one-term presidents. They lost their re-election bid. We mentioned Martin Van Buren earlier. He was only a one-term president. Uh, he was president from 1837 to 1841. Fast forward, Benjamin Harrison, one-term president. Uh, from uh, His term ended in 1893. William Howard Taft, who the legend has it, uh, went to a baseball game got up in the seventh inning to leave and as a sign of respect everybody in the stadium good, stood up as he left and that's why we supposedly have the seventh inning stretch but he is a one-term president herbert hoover was a one-term president he was president when the market crashed uh, in 1929 so maybe a little bit of bad luck on his part, but the, there was probably no way he was going to be reelected, and he wasn't. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt beat him. Fast forward a few years, Gerald Ford, who took over for Richard Nixon when Richard Nixon resigned, he did not win reelection. Uh, Jimmy Carter beat him, but then Jimmy Carter didn't win reelection. Ronald Reagan beat him, and. George Herbert Walker Bush was a one-term president. When he ran a second time, uh, Bill Clinton beat him. And then, of course, we have uh, Donald Trump, who was a one-term president because Joe Biden beat him. So it doesn't, hasn't happened very often over the years. Uh, one, one ringer in there could be uh, LBJ. He may have been a one-term president. We'll never know, but as, uh, he did not decide to run for re-election in 1968. And that, that's when Richard Nixon one uh, beat Hubert Humphrey. So we'll never know if he would have been a one-term president, but he, he could be on the list if he wanted to be. But back to Grover Cleveland. So again, we're back in the 1880s. Uh, he has been remembered as a, a honest man, actually known as Grover the Good, but that may not be a, a correct moniker for him. So we go back to the 1884 presidential election campaign, and he came up, uh, Grover Cleveland came up against a man who was widely regarded as corrupt. And so uh, to aid their candidate, uh, Grover Cleveland was a Democrat. The Republicans, to aid their candidate, uh, looked to see what kind of dirt they could find on Grover Cleveland, Grover the Good. What they found out actually was pretty pretty disturbing, even by today's standards. Grover Cleveland had fathered a child out of wedlock, which not not that big a deal these days, but he had fathered a child out of wedlock about 10 years earlier with a wi widow named Maria Halpin. Uh, but in an affidavit that Maria gave, 
their baby was not conceived by consensual sex. Uh, after a meal out together, she was sexually assaulted, and as she described in the affidavit, uh, by use of force and violence and without my consent. So as a result of this encounter, uh, she becomes pregnant. When the child was born, Grover Cleveland had the boy removed from his mother and placed in an orphanage, and then he had her thrown into a lunatic asylum. Somehow, though, and it makes me wonder about the American people sometimes, somehow he survives this revelation, uh, and thanks to, actually, thanks to uh, spin doctoring, and actually they... Uh, they kind of victim, not kind of, they victim blamed uh, Maria Halpin. That's a nice touch, smearing uh, somebody who's in a, a, a sane asylum, but they did. Uh, what they did was they portrayed her as a drunken whore while Grover Cleveland was the honorable gentleman who took responsibility for the child since he was the only one of Maria's male friends who was a bachelor. But later or not, this worked, and he won a close-fought election. Um, although she would eventually be released from the asylum, she lived the rest of her life with the stain of this scandal, uh, which appears to be not her fault, but we don't know. But that's Grover Cleveland. He actually, we actually could have included that with the sex scandal, sex scandals before, but I thought it was, uh, I just thought it was worth mentioning while he was president. That's, that it came out and had an impact on the election. Or did it? Then we move on to Warren Harding. Before there was a Watergate, there was Teapot Dome. B back then, back then being the early, early 1920s, 21 to 23, thereabouts. Um, but at the time, this was regarded as the greatest and most sensational scandal in the history of American politics. Um, as a result, it's probably, it's no wonder that President Harding uh, is often regarded as one of the worst, if not the worst president of all time, though it appears President Grant might give him a run for his money. Uh, but President Harding's White House was often described as corrupt and chaotic, um, although much of the dodgy dealings of his administration supposedly happened without his knowledge, as is the case of this teapot dome. So under his predecessor, President Taft, uh, many oil-producing areas were designated as naval oil reserves so we can make sure that our Navy never runs out of fuel, which is a good thing. President Harding's Secretary of the Interior, Albert Fall, convinced the president in 1921 to shift control of a number of those reserves, including one at Teapot Dome in Wyoming. Seems like an odd name for a place in Wyoming. But anyway, Teapot Dome in Wyoming shift control to the Department of the Interior. And so this was completed in 1922. So Fall then, uh, Albert Fall then leases those reserves to private oil companies without competitive bidding. After, and this always happens, after an angry Wyoming oil operator wrote to a senator complaining of the secret deal, 
An investigation by the Senate committee followed soon after. And their findings were that they discovered that Fall had received around $400,000. And again, back in the early 20s, $400,000 is a lot of money. It's a lot of money now, but it was a lot more then. But he had received around $400,000 in bribe money to facilitate the leases. Oh, by the way, the Department of the Interior, if you go back and look at President Grant's scandals, uh, also the Department of the Interior had a scandal under his watch. So what's up with the Department of the Interior? But anyway, uh, Congress ended those leases and Albert Fall became the first sitting cabinet member in American history to be sent to prison. And so this does not reflect well, obviously, on Warren Harding, though he may not have known anything about it. Who knows? Uh, again, not with us, so he can't speak for himself. President Harding was never directly implicated with the scandal, but via association, uh, via association of course, his reputation will, uh, forever tarnished. Uh, unfortunately for him, the stress of all that took a toll on his health, and he died of a heart attack while he was in office in 1923, so he did not even serve out his uh, full term. Then we fast forward a few years to Richard Nixon, Tricky Dick. Um, this is probably the scandal, the presidential scandal that, pardon the bad word, trumps all other scandals, which remains to be seen. But anyway, uh, not only did this force this scandal, not only did it force President Nixon to resign from office, which is he's the only one in American history to do so, but now it's given us a suffix called gate. Uh, deflate gate, but the original is Watergate. Um, and I do remember, I was nine at the time, but I do remember uh, he resigned in August. We hadn't started school yet, so I do remember watching that ceremony, watching his final um, message to the to the country, and knowing you're watching history. I mean, of course, a nine-year-old doesn't appreciate it as much, but I knew that was a big deal. And so what, what, was, what his downfall was started with uh, when he ordered a break-in at the Democratic National Committee headquarters in Washington, D.C. at the Watergate office complex back on June 17, 1972. Now, he was obviously running for re-election. Uh, five men were caught going through files and attempting to plant listening devices. The breadcrumb trail, if you would, uh, eventually led back to Nixon's Republican administration and even to the president himself. Looking back on it, and again, we always have the um, ability to look back on things, 2020 hindsight, but looking back on it, he, he did not probably need to do that. He was going to win re-election uh, re anyway um, for a variety of reasons. But uh, he, I think he was uh, probably a very insecure man. Or maybe he just liked the power of being president. We also have to keep in mind a couple things that, number one, Richard Nixon was President Eisenhower's vice president for eight years. He, Richard Nixon then ran for president against John F. Kennedy. <clears throat> and that is the closest uh, election of the 20th century. It was very, very close 
Some people have theorized that the reason why JFK won is only because he was better looking than Nixon, because during their debate, apparently the, there was some sweat. Uh, Nixon was sweating profusely, and it wasn't a good look. And so, But even with that, it was still an incredibly close election. So Richard Nixon's vice president for eight years, runs for president, and loses a very close election. In 1968, he wins election as president. Then in 1972, he runs for re-election. And so um, he orders this thing at Watergate. And after these five men were caught going through the files and trying to plant listening devices, there's some investigative journalists that uncovered uh, multiple abuses of power by Nixon and his administration, including, but not limited to, including attempts to cover up their involvement on the break-in, creating and implementing a dirty tricks campaign against the Dem Democrats, illegal wiretapping of enemies, and using the FBI, CIA, CIA, and IRS as political weapons. I do wonder, and I've, I've read articles that Suppose, what if Richard Nixon had come out after all this came to light and just said, you know what, I did it, I'm sorry I did it, I was wrong to have done it, and I asked the American people for their forgiveness. Oh, by the way, I'm asking for your vote in November, but what if he had owned up to it, took accountability for it, and said, yep, I, it was a mistake and I deeply regret it. It was a bad, bad use of judgment. Would they have reelected him? And if so, he probably would have served all four years of that. We'll never know. We'll never know. But uh, he did not come out and take responsibility for it. He he denied, 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 and it ended up catching up catching up to him. Sixty nine government officials were indicted, and forty eight were found guilty. Uh, he was going, President Nixon was going to be impeached and probably probably convicted. So knowing that, he stepped down and in his final address to the American people said, I've always, quote, I've always tried to do what is best for the nation, unquote. <laughs> so after what's now nearly two decades of social unrest, uh, going back to the 60s, now the middle 70s, social unrest, assassinations, economic troubles, and the Vietnam War. Now you throw in Watergate, and it really shook uh, the country to its core and left the nation really in desperate need of some stability and, and calmness. And so uh, Gerald Ford, you know, took over as he was vice president and uh, because uh, his, Richard Nixon's vice president, Spear Agnew, had resigned in disgrace. So Gerald Ford has, takes over as president. Uh, in retrospect, he probably did even-handedly guide the country when uh, it needed it. His was a close election to Jimmy Carter, but Jimmy Carter did win and took over president uh, from the 1976 election. Then we fast forward to President Reagan, Ronald Reagan. He was the first 
president I voted for uh, as I was old enough to vote in that 1984 election. So during uh, he, his first election was November of 1980. I voted, I voted for him in 84. But during the 80s, early 80s, uh, he had two major dilemmas. Uh, there was a militant group known as Hezbollah who had taken hostages in Lebanon and then there's a new revolutionary communist government that had just been established in uh, Nicaragua, which I'm not pronouncing correctly, I know, but communist government established there in Latin America. Well, if you remember anything about Ronald Reagan, you may remember he hated communism, and he was going to make sure that he was going to defeat the Soviet Union, and I think a case could be made that he certainly was instrumental in that happening. But in light of that, it certainly could not have sat well with him to have a communist country in Central America. So his administration devised a plan to kill two birds with one stone. They were going to sell arms to Iran in the hope that the terrorists would release the hostages in Lebanon, then funnel a portion of the profits from those arms sales to provide military support to the Contras, the anti-communist rebels in Nicaragua, easy for me to say, in that country. <laughs> so in theory, that plan sounds good. Uh, in practice, that's completely illegal. Okay, it's Nicaragua. Uh, there, I got it now. Anyway, so the theory sound, the, in, the, in theory, the plan sounds good. The reality is completely illegal. So, since most of the Contra's funds came from the drug trade, Congress had previously passed the Boland Amendment banning the U.S. government from funding the rebels. There was also a trade embargo with Iran at the time. Remember the, the hostages in Tehran at the American Embassy, they had just been released in 1981, uh, January of 81, right as President Reagan was sworn in. So those, uh, there, there's still some hard feelings, and again, they still want to kill us. But anyway, so there's a trade embargo with Iran at the time. So it does beg the question, why are we selling these people, these nuts, why are we selling them arms? But this is why. So to twofer, the selling of weapons to Iran, a, a country we are having a trade embargo with, that's illegal. And then funding the Contra's revolution to try and take down the communist government, that also broke United States laws. So when news broke of the arms deal with Iran, President Reagan initially denied, 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 initially denied he'd negotiated with the terrorists, something he'd previously sworn to never do. And I do remember that. He just was not going to do that, but apparently he did. In a later televised address to the nation, he would go back on that promise and admit to the illegal trade. So now enter Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North of the United States Marine Corps, also on the National Security Council. So he comes forward and admitted to diverting some of the funds from the arms sales to support the Contras. Congressional hearings, which were televised back then, congressional hearings followed, but none resulted in convictions. <laughs> which is actually pretty amazing when you think about it. Addressing the nation once more, President Reagan denied knowing the full extent of his administration's actions, but took full responsibility for them. 
Again, what if Richard Nixon had done that? Uh, even to this day, it's still not known how much President Reagan did or did not know. But when, uh, strangely enough, when he left the Oval Office, he did so with the highest approval rating ever for a departing president at the time. So Watergate destroyed Nixon, Teapot, teapot Dome helps in Harding to, I'm not laughing, in Harding to an early grave. Uh, Monica Lewinsky, the Monica Lewinsky affair tarnished President Clinton's legacy. And uh, the Halp, Halpin scandal uh, really ruined Grover Cleveland's. So you have those people wearing the Scarlet A, but yet Reagan somehow survived Iran-Contra Iran -Contra with his reputation intact. And really the only way you hear about the scandal now is you read it in the history books. Finally, uh, and that's all I'm going to say about the Bill Clinton thing. I mean, it, it, that's been run into the ground, and it, 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 he was impeached for it. Uh, not convicted, but he was impeached, so that's a stain on his uh, legacy forever, forever. Finally, we've got uh, Donald Trump, and um, boy, his supporters are they're dyed in the wool, and they are very um, passionate about supporting him, and they believe in him. Um, what's interesting, uh, there are a lot of interesting things about him, but what's interesting about his presidency and, and him being president is that he's been impeached not once, but twice. Stop and think about that. Not once, but twice. Um, I mean, that, that's a first. Uh, we've seen other presidents who have been impeached, President Clinton, President Andrew Johnson, but neither of those fellas were impeached twice. President Trump has been impeached twice. The indictment of last week uh, accuses him of using campaign funds to pay for the silence of a porn star that he had an affair with, and uh, he coded these payments as legal fees. Um, this is it's a developing story, but it, I mean, I, just as an American citizen, I don't really care who. I mean, I, you know, I don't really care who he sleeps with or who he who he wants to hang around with. Um, he's married, and I'm, I'm not sure he should be whoring around with other women if he's married. If he wants to do that, then divorce Melania. That would be my advice to him: give up half your half your estate that you had when you married her and divorce her, and you can go out and do whatever the heck you want. But it's a, it is a developing story. Uh, I will be interested to see how it turns out. Um, but my question is, will this country really elect someone, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, who may be in prison? But I just wonder. I mean, we, we elected Grover Cleveland, uh, thinking there's a possibility he raped somebody and then uh, sent the kid to an orphanage and sent the woman to an insane asylum, which is not funny, but it kind of is. He gets elected. Uh, even Thomas Jefferson, he uh, comes out, he's sleeping with one of his slaves, which back then was very taboo. He gets elected. Um, JFK's reputation uh, uh, as someone who uh, may or may not have been faithful to Jacqueline, 
he gets elected. So it, it, you look back over the course of our history, and I guess I've answered my own question. Um, yeah, we've got a former president who's been impeached twice, who is under indictment, and he may end up being the Republican nominee next year, which is hard to believe it's only next year, but he may be the Republican nom nominee for the November election of 2024. And he may get elected again. He may be the next Grover Cleveland. That's just unbelievable to me. But it may happen. We have to wait and see. So in conclusion, the resilience of this country, the forgiveness, uh, forgivingness of this country, uh, just never ceases to amaze me. Um, it really, it, it's pretty amazing that, the, that some of these scandals haven't prop, prompted the population to look at other forms of government. And really, chances are that until a robot becomes president, and that as long as we have human beings running the country, we will have scandals. So if you have comments or questions or concerns, uh, you may hit me up. My Twitter handle is at The Eclectic Joe. That's also my Instagram handle. Or you may email me at theeclecticjoe at gmail.com. So until next time, stay safe, everyone. <laughs>